From member-supported CPR News, this is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and democracy. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Andrew Kenny. We have Alex Burness, a political reporter for the Denver Post, joining us for this episode. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming. You're, you are actually the first non-CPR reporter to be on this podcast, so... Well, thank you. It's it's an honor to be here. It's great to have you. And we're getting to that part of the session where the first really significant bills are starting to move through the Capitol and get their initial hearings. We are going to discuss that in just a little bit. But before we get to that point, we're going to start off with our segment looking at the measures that are the most popular on the state's legislative website. So these are the bills people want to look up and learn more about. Hot bills. Hot bills. Hot bills. So the the first measure we're going to talk about, we also mentioned on the previous podcast episode because it was one of the most searched items. It's been up there for quite a few days now. The title is Protect Minors from Mutilation and Sterilization. So, uh, Andy, that sounds pretty serious. What's up with this bill? Yeah, and it's not surprising that it's stayed up there that it's continuing to get attention because it's quite concerning to a lot of LGBT people. And it also touches on gender, which seems to be one of the most polarizing issues in the country right now. It would forbid doctors from prescribing hormones or uh, doing surgeries to either affirm or reassign gender for minors. So it's part of a bigger national push by conservatives. Similar bills are showing up in a half dozen states and all just about and Colorado is probably the most liberal of those states, so it's really not looking likely to succeed. But it, it does kind of show something. I'd be shocked if this gets past its first committee hearing. Yeah, th- this bill is pretty obviously going nowhere. And it's one of a slew of pretty catchy uh, GOP uh, bills in the legislature this year that promise or threaten really big and and would-be controversial changes um, that are going absolutely nowhere that will die in their first committee, probably on a party line vote. Um, It's still worth paying attention to because with Republicans out of power, there's an election coming up and it's good to know, well, hey, if they did have power, what what would be some of their priorities? So uh, they're going nowhere, but they're still good to keep an eye on because it shows you where some legislators uh, would try to take the state if they had power. But I think it's worth noting in the minority, certain people are going to sponsor things that if Republicans actually have majority control, I don't know that this would be a party priority. And there's plenty of Republicans who maybe wouldn't be on board with some of these things. Another bill along those lines that's one of the most tracked measures this week is called Fundamental Family Rights in Colorado. And it was introduced at the start of the session. And essentially, this bill would define parental rights as fundamental, and they will be subject to strict scrutiny. So what does that mean? I mean, Taking a look at it, it seems like it could be harder to remove a child from a home and put them into foster care. But the wording's broad enough. It could apply to a lot of different areas. Vaccines, conversion therapy, again, would be very controversial if it was actually going to move through the Capitol. Right, which it's not. Right. It's a statement, Bill. final bill that people are really looking up is the topic of this week's episode, and it's a measure to repeal the death penalty in Colorado. Yeah, and it made a lot of progress this week. Uh, The first hearing was on Monday, and it was hours of really emotional testimony. And by Friday, it had actually passed the state Senate, this idea that we're going to get rid of the death penalty in Colorado with the support of almost all the Democrats and even a few Republicans. This was really the most crucial step in the process, and it's basically where last year's attempt to do this fell apart, right? 
So this is the sixth attempt at the Capitol in about a dozen years. Entering last year's legislative session, uh, where Democrats had seized control of the entirety of state government, in, in the words of one state senator, it was full speed ahead on death penalty repeal. This was one of those things that was like, Democrats are in control now, this is just going to happen. And it all fell apart, and it fell apart pretty dramatically and painfully. And um, the reason why, in short, is that there's a state senator, a Democratic state senator named Rhonda Fields. In 2005, her son and his fiance were murdered by two men who uh, now sit on Colorado's death row. They're two of the three men on Colorado's death row. Last year, as they were rolling out this bill, she said that she was pretty offended by uh, how the sponsors of the bill had rolled this bill out, that they were moving too quickly. I mean, if you remember, the bill was introduced and the hearing was literally the next day. Mm -hmm. And she called that a gut punch. And so there were a lot of people, Republicans and Democrats, um, who just felt uneasy passing the death penalty repeal, knowing that something that was already inherently painful for for their colleague was going to be extra rough on her just because of how this process had gone. And so there were people who just could not get over this. There there were four Democrats last year who were wavering as a result of this process stuff. There were a few Republicans who might have come on board or were thinking about it who just didn't want to touch it. And so Julie Gonzalez, uh, the state senator, one of these sponsors last year, tearfully pulls it off the floor last year. I ask that this bill be laid over because I believe wholeheartedly that the way in which we treat each other through this process is as important as the policy itself. So when this bill comes back next session, there will be nothing left to hide behind except this abhorrent, terrible practice. And she brings it back this year and says this time the process is going to be as respectful and deliberate um, as, as possible. And we're, we are going to pass this measure, but um, we really want to bring Rhonda Fields along as, as carefully as we can. Well, this has been interesting to watch for a first timer in the legislature like me as well, because it shows how much of that building is dependent on relationships between these people who are there for, you know, often years and years. Yeah. And I think, you know, advocates for repealing the death penalty outside of the building, some of the religious groups, they really thought last year was going to be the time. They were extremely disappointed and frustrated that they felt there were process problems and they did feel bad for Rhonda Fields. It's a personal issue and it touches on so many things, but how many people have a direct connection to the death penalty? When you really look at the whole state, who's been through that experience? Very, very few people. And we can't underestimate what that means to have one of them sitting in the state Senate and having a vote on this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's enormous. Uh, two-thirds of death row is directly connected to a state senator. I mean, that that's as personal as it gets. But as it turns out, uh, just in reporting on, uh, on the death penalty repeal in Colorado, I've ended up talking to a lot of people who've had family members murdered and where at some point... Uh, the death penalty was was either being considered in in the court cases uh, relating to their family members or it was just something that had popped into their head and they were forced to wrestle with, well, do I support this? Would I even want this theoretically? So um, even though there's only three people on death row, it turns out that it's something that uh, more than a few people have given some thought to. And speaking of that, in the House, a Democratic state representative, Tom Sullivan, whose son was murdered in the Aurora Theater shooting, has been through the death penalty process. James Holmes ultimately didn't receive the death penalty, but Sullivan 
is very supportive of giving parents that that choice. And Andy, you know, we've been talking a lot about Democrats here, but we've got some splits in the Republican Party over this. So I got curious, is there more of a national movement around Republicans interested in criminal justice reform? I found a group called Right on Crime and spoke with its leader, Derek Cohen. And what he said was that, you know, Republicans very much led the way from the 60s through the 90s in the creation of this tough on crime mentality. And what he said was that some Republicans now see it as, well, their responsibility to start winding that back. And he said there's a couple reasons they're interested in doing that. You've got the religious angle where, you know, especially for Catholic Republicans, when it comes to something like the death penalty, they uh, they see it as taking a life. And so for the same reason that they might oppose abortion, they have questions now about the death penalty. You also have a kind of a libertarian approach to it where if you don't believe that the government should be able to take away your rights, then maybe they shouldn't be able to take away your life. And in general, like there is room for this belief among Republicans that the criminal justice state has gotten really quite large and it's not really working. And so if you look at it just like you would look at any other part of government as a conservative, maybe it's something that you want to wind back. I wonder how much of the debate has centered on the criminal justice reform angle, saving money versus the moral and ethical and religious questions. What have you all made of the arguments being posed? Mm -hmm. I think that on death penalty... There's some overlap with what Andy's talking about, about the uh, where, where left and right can come together in this Venn diagram of criminal justice priorities. I also think death penalty kind of stands alone. It's so binary. It's I don't mean to say it's simple. It's not a simple issue, but I think for a lot of people, it's, you know, the, the debate is interesting. It's useful, but they know where they stand. You were seeing Rhonda Fields and others in these sort of uh, recognizing that they didn't have the votes to actually reject this bill. So for the bill sponsors in Centennial and the bill sponsor in Denver, will you please help the people of Colorado and the people in this chamber understand your motivation and your rationale for abolishing the death penalty when the people of Colorado don't want it? You were saying Rhonda Fields and all these people who recognized that they did not have the votes to reject the bill, bringing forward a slew of amendments that took hours to go over. And one of the amendments that, that we saw people bring, uh, Bob Gardner, a Republican who brought it in committee, who brought it on the Senate floor this week, said, well, let's put this to the voters. Let's put the repeal question to the voters. Uh, proponents of the repeal say, look, we were elected here to do the people's work. We have conviction. Our, we know what our constituents feel on this. We need to move it uh, forward on this. And, uh, you know, this is not the last that I think we're going to see of that proposal to put it on the ballot. I'm sure it'll come up in the House uh, next week or, or whenever it arrives there. And the Senate was really the the closest vote, the narrowest margin, even though we've shown this is a bipartisan issue, more Democrats support repealing it than Republicans. So in the House, with that wider majority, they can lose some, some Democrats and still get this measure through. So this has been a pretty heavy week in terms of what we've been discussing here, and we're going to end it on a little bit of a lighter note. What Our wait what moment, the thing that just kind of stood out, like, huh, what's actually happening here? And this week, the wait what happened on the Senate floor to one of our colleagues, Jesse Paul with the Colorado Sun, and here is the Senate President, Leroy Garcia, on the floor of the chamber. Members, we will start off this year with 
receiving our first fine from Jesse for having his coat off during the process. So the fine will be $1. And Alex, you were sitting on the Senate floor that day. Can you explain what happened? Yeah, there are a lot of rules in this building, uh, some of which concern what you have to wear when you're um, reporting from the floor. Not not just reporting, it that applies to people who are in the chamber anyway, but for journalists, we sit at this press table and every now and then you'll hear them say the coat rule has been relaxed, which means you don't have to wear your blazer. And so I guess Jesse was under the mistaken impression that the coat rule had been relaxed. He was sitting there in a, a tie and a button down and um, he got scolded and they they said uh i forget who came over but it was like hey man you got to put on your coat and um then i saw the uh one of the senate staffers look at him very uh you know with a, with a very serious look like you owe me a dollar and i was like wow this this rule is serious <laughs> well they could make it higher but you know i'm uh, this is one rule i'm glad i don't have to worry about I think it's, it, I've seen it over the years too, where they've not relaxed the coat rule because it was really warm in the chamber and they wanted certain senators to be uncomfortable and hot. That's hardball. Yeah. It's yes. almost like it's a building full of people who professionally argue for a living. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought that? <laughs> I just wear my coat all the time to be safe. That's I, right. I, I, I can't be losing that dollar. No. <laughs> where does the money go? I have no idea. And I wondered that sitting there watching, there was a little jar that I think Jesse's dollar went into and yeah i don't know what it pays for i'd be interested to know sounds well, like a records request material that's it for this week's episode purplish is a production of member supported colorado public radio learn about becoming a member and join today at cpr.org i'm benta berkland with my colleague andy kenny and alex Bernas from the denver post this episode was produced by shane rumsey CPR's head of audio innovations is Brad Turner, who also composed our theme music. Our executive producer is Rachel Estabrook. We'll be back in your podcast feeds next week. Until then, this is Purplish from CPR News. Mm-hmm.